Welcome back to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And this is a great one, boys. This is the first time in a long time that I've actually felt joy in my life. Because Chelsea Football Club is back. That's right, I said it, they're back. All it took was Mauricio Pochettino to listen to our podcast two episodes ago. When we called a crisis meeting and we told him two or three simple changes that he had needed to make to change things around. And guess what he did? He made those changes. So everyone listening at home, you're welcome. Um, our, our podcast is 100% responsible for this turnaround. Um, so Andreas, I'm, I'm here joined with uh, my other co-hosts, Andreas and Zach. Andreas, you were... Uh, you were skeptical about three changes making much of a difference. What, do you think that those three changes now, like, change everything around? I mean, listen, it feels like it is. You know, this is the first time where we can actually say that this is the Blues on Parade podcast where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. It's great. Yeah, we don't need to talk shit about Chelsea this week. I'm really happy no. about that. We don't have to talk shit about anybody on the team. And, yeah, I mean, the, the changes that we asked about were all addressed. Obviously, we still have Cole and left back out of necessity, but he's actually playing left back. It's not a makeshift back three anymore. We have every heat map showing that he was not in line with DeSassi and Tiago, finally. And Enzo is not playing the 10. I mean, it's great. It's great stuff. You you can't you can't overthink it, and it just works, man. It just works, Zach. How are you feeling? I feel great, man. Um, I think I think the best part about this is that the team is confident again. Like all the flicks and tricks in the second half, especially Connor Gallagher even pulling out the sauce too. I mean, it, it looked like everybody just had a little bit extra to give especially after that first goal went in there was just a complete change in the confidence in the team so long may it continue and for so long we have had absolutely no luck whatsoever and finally for the first time in a long time that brogia goal that was finally luck playing on our side like it uh, when that happens you know that things are turning around because it's been a while since something like that has happened. So let's get into it. Fulham nil, Chelsea two. Going through our starting 11, we start off with Sanchez uh, in goal. A back four of Kukurea, Sassi, Tiago, Silva, and, uh, and Colwell. Then a midfield three, Gallagher, Caicedo, and Enzo with Gallagher playing as the 10. Another change we said that he should do. Um, and um, front three of Palmer, Broja, and Mujic. That, that's right, folks. We played a 4-3-3 when it took a 4-2-3-1 shape, and Gallagher was at the 10, not Enzo. Zach, I kind of want to start off with that because Gallagher is your boy. And mm-hmm. we mentioned, like, I don't know if I actually talked about this on the pod or if it was after the fact, but... I just thought, like, doesn't it make more sense to have him play the 10? You know, like, when he's being, when he's pressing, he can press their back line. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it, he's, he's a goal scorer. Like, let's just push him forward. What do you think of that change? Um, I, I, it's been a long time coming, man. Me and Andres have been preaching this change for a while now. And, and it, only, it makes sense when you look at it stylistically. Everything that Connor Gallagher is good at. Um, in terms of counter pressing, um, you know, finding through passes, taking shots from far away, uh, even man marking players out of the game. It doesn't make sense to put a player that's good at all of those things that we just listed and play him at the base of a midfield um, where he can't necessarily get the most out of his out of his attributes. So the fact that we played him a little bit higher up the pitch 
meant that he got the man Mark Paulina. Let's not forget Bayern was about to pay 70 million for this guy uh, towards the end of the window. Connor Gallagher marked him out of the match effectively for the full 90 minutes. Um, the other thing was, is because he's higher up the pitch, he's getting the ball in more advanced positions and he doesn't have as much time to th overthink uh, where to play that next pass. The biggest gripe I had with him playing at the, at the double pivot was the same gripe that I had with Thiago Silva playing in that back three where he just kind of slows down the play when he doesn't necessarily need to. Him playing higher up the pitch, he looked way more decisive. He had a couple nice turns even. He's able to hold off, um, he's able to hold off defenders with his size and his strength as well. And all of those things kind of came to light today. But what I noticed was that he wasn't exclusively deployed as a 10. He was switching a lot with Enzo and even Caicedo at points. Caicedo, not so much, but there were points in the game where he would progress the ball forward and um, Gallagher and Enzo would sort of, one of them would fill in the gap that Caicedo would leave or vice versa. If any of those guys left their space, there was another guy there to, to fill it up or to fill it back in. And, you know, I listened to Gallagher's post-match um, uh, interview um, down in the tunnel, and he said, you know, Pochettino basically told the three midfielders that he wants them to interchange more so they could be more free on the ball. So he kind of, for lack of a better term, took the shackles off of that midfield. Instead of leaving it as a double pivot and a 10, he kind of left it as a three-man fluid midfield with no defined positions, but clearly defined roles, if that makes sense. Um, Andres, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it was clear that Enzo and Caicedo were probably like the main deep guys linking up with the defense. And and I know one of our, our listeners was saying that Gallagher wasn't really a 10. And he's right. He was the right center mid. But because of the way the game played, if you look at, uh, I think it was McClackbot posted the, the final match, like main part of the field positioning. He was getting to push so much forward that he was clearly yards ahead of the other two, looking like he was the 10. Um, there was times where Caicedo was in front of both of them. There was times where Enzo was the furthest one from the defense. It was it was really fun to watch. And guess when the last time we saw this was? The freaking preseason. We saw four three threes. Uh, I'd say like three matches of the four or five we had in the U.S. And it was fun to watch. It was fluid. It was a good way to attack. When you add someone like Palmer, where he's like a right wing slash attacking midfield hybrid, it makes even more sense to play like this. And, and I just feel like Fulham's team just could not figure out who they needed to press and where they needed to press them because they were so fluid in terms of who was going to check back to the line, who was going to make the next run forward, who was going to carry instead of passing. So, yeah, it was it was fun. I think I thought this was going to be the, the move a lot earlier into the season, um, obviously with injuries and whatnot. I think Potts just had to just kind of make do. But, I mean, I think this is it until at least Chukwameka comes back. Mm -hmm. we, we should probably see a lot more of this. I'm sorry to cut in really quickly, but I just want to pose something to you guys that just kind of popped in my head just now. I mean, we do have a tough run of fixtures coming up in like the November, December period, which we talked about. I think we play pretty much everyone in the top six before the new year, right? Um. For those kind of matches, I mean, granted, we do have injuries that we have to deal with. I would rather see that midfield three than the classic 4-2-3-1 Christmas tree setup, like the more traditional double pivot with a 10. I like that. I, I would rather have this three for this reason only, because of what I just mentioned with Connor Gallagher and his ability to sort of chase the same player around all game. Like, if we can, if we play like a. I don't know, let's say like a Manchester City or even a Newcastle, who's to say that Conor Gallagher can't chase around Bruno Guimaraes all game or Rodri all game um, to possibly, you know, change up their game plan or force those teams to sort of play a different way. This was really the first time that we saw Poch deploy a system like this all season, I think. At least one that was this blatantly obvious where it was very clear that Gallagher was tasked with Paulinha and nobody else. And th that's my issue. You said it's the very obvious decision. And at this point, I am very happy that Poch made this change. He honestly did what we were not expecting him to do. He had been overthinking it this whole season for some reason. And I didn't have the confidence in him. Like, the last couple episodes, we were talking about what we think he should do and then what we think he's going to do. And mm -hmm. those two being opposites. And he's finally starting to 
get the simple things right, and it, I, I, it worries me that we had that initial period, the beginning of the season, where I, I, st- I would like to know the real reason why he completely abandoned this play style at the beginning of the season. And if it really was just because of Nkunku, that was really dumb of him. Because look at look at the way we're playing right now. We he's not necessary, and and why not continue playing this play style so that when he does come back, the team's already used to playing like this. It, mm-hmm. it, it that that's the one thing that I still it'll take me some time to kind of get that bad taste out of my mouth, um, but hopefully for the rest of his tenure, and hopefully that's a long time, he doesn't overthink the simple stuff. I, I think part of it, and that may be something like, in retrospect, like hindsight 2020, like Caicedo didn't have a preseason at all. You know, he played maybe one match the whole summer for, for Brighton, and then he got moved over here. So there was no familiarity with system, players, etc. So him not being integrated was... Doubt took a bit longer than we expected. Then you had um, Palmer coming in on deadline day, also not integrated to our system whatsoever. What Potch doesn't really know what he wanted to do. Like it, it's come out that Potch said, like, I am now involved in transfers. Like he was pre- very much a yes man this summer. And I think because of how things kind of started, and now he wants to maybe not take as long with the project as, as maybe some people thought things will change. So yeah, I, I do think there was still a little bit of stubbornness from him, but I mean, it, it's, it's clicking now. I don't know the why, the how, like we're still playing great right back, Colwell at left back. Tiago is still a main center back. Like these are things that we've been still saying like, Oh, this isn't where we're at, but it's a true back four. It is some sort of midfield two slash three. And we're playing Mudrick high and wide. So it's it's one of those things where, okay, there is starting to be a week-to-week identity, at least in the past, I would say, two two matches, maybe even three, if you give Aston Villa's like first half a bit of credit. So, yeah, it's, it is annoying that it took this long. And, and whether it's injuries, whether it's the fact that all our guys are super young, like that's something that he's been mentioning, like Mudrik, We've gotten him a few more starts in a row and look at him now. Palmer's now starting a few matches in a row. And the interesting thing is we're doing this with the youth. Like Sterling has not been the main man the past two, three matches and the team only looks better. I think that's something that that needs to be highlighted. Um, I, I don't know if it's because Again, you can mold the young players and old players, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. But I hope Palmer starts again come Saturday. You know, like I'm I'm not I didn't miss someone like Sterling this today. Oh no, I did not miss him at all. And I, that's another question. Like the way Palmer played today, like if it were me, I would I would play him over Sterling, but it, you you know there's there's more that 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 goes into that decision. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to maintain a happy locker room, um, and you know the veteran Raheem Sterling getting benched by a 21 year old kid is he 21 20 how old 22 22 um, you know who's been on the team for a month a little bit more of a month. It's not good, like, optics, but <laughs> that's just what I would do. I don't know. Zach, do you want to add anything? Um, about Palmer? Um, I mean, whether, I, whether uh, you would take over, like, choose him over Sterling moving forward. Oh, that's a no-brainer for me. I mean, I think, I think uh, Cole Palmer is easily our most creative player that we have right now. Um, and I said it during the game too. I th- I think he could sort of be. He kind of reminds me of Kevin De Bruyne's situation when he was at Chelsea, and how you know we sold him to Wolfsburg, and then from there he wound up at Man City. But it's kind of the opposite. What's happening with Cole Palmer? He couldn't necessarily 
find consistent playing time at Man City because that team is so stacked. And then he comes to a team like Chelsea and just blows up. And now Man City's probably looking at that going, ah, maybe we could have actually used this kid. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. But I do think that, you know, the comparisons with De Bruyne are well-founded because of the way he plays as well. You know, De Bruyne was a guy that started primarily as a winger. And as his career progressed, he became a central midfield player, more of a creative 10. Um, and somebody that could sort of plug and play anywhere uh, on the pitch. And I think Cole Palmer's on his way there, especially with his passing range and the ability to play the difficult pass um, and the timing on the passes that we spoke about last pod as well. I, I just think the only real way for him is up. Um, but yeah, he's our little KDB regen, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word, in his own special way. <laughs> I wouldn't call him a KDB regen. I would say that he's what we thought Kai Havertz was going to be. like. In two starts, I think he's done everything we, from the Bayer Leverkusen highlights, thought Kai Havertz was supposed to be. He hasn't scored a goal yet, but yeah, the creativity, the dribbling, like, I agree. Well, the maintaining actually, position, everything. I thought, I thought when Kai came here that he was going to be like a sort of a goal scoring, primary goal scorer, and then chip in with assists here and there. But I didn't yeah. necessarily to come in and be a playmaker. I actually think Cole Palmer is everything that we thought Hakeem Ziyech was supposed to be. I, mean, I think you can Regardless. make that comparison. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, it's, it's great news. He's yeah. Happy, happy yeah, yeah, yeah. And looking, let's, let's look on the other side of the wing, Mihailo Mudrik. Yes, sir. Finally, he put himself on the goal sheet with his first regular season Chelsea goal and i couldn't be happier for the kid it was about fucking time no more memes we and and it wasn't even a make a wish foundation uh goal like how arsenal did with kai havertz they saw him pouting on the (laughs) sideline and said come here little kid you want to score a goal for arsenal here you go no it was not a make a wish goal he earned it um i mean just add on top of that the beautiful assist from colwell that was beautiful. Um, 10 out of 10 knee slide. Everything was great. But overall, I mean, he only played uh, 45 minutes. I think conditioning is still an issue for him, which seems kind of weird. But, you know, we have a kind of quick turnaround. Um, we play on Saturday. So, you know, all that in mind, he only played in the first 45 minutes. But... Andreas, I'll start off with you. What did you see during that 45 minutes? And what what made you happy? Confidence, understanding of where he needs to be going with his runs. I feel like every match he's getting smarter and smarter on the field. I think like, this 45-minute performance, that you saw a lot more of him mixing it up. I think that every time he was getting the ball, he was so quick to just go towards the middle, cut inside, cut inside, cut inside. And I really think that he was doing a little bit of both against Fulham. Um, he was both trying to like go find the byline and cross it in, as well as trying to get himself more central, which, again, you can't be a one-trick pony in the Premier League when it comes to wing play. So that was really exciting. Obviously, his shot, like it takes a lot more calm to, to bring it down with your chest and hit it with your weak foot um, to score your first Premier League goal. So that was pretty nice. And my favorite part of that goal was when the camera's following him before he does the knee slide, you see Caicedo and Enzo just massive hug before they run over to Mudrik. Mm-hmm. Like that goal, you could see what it meant to not just him, but the team around him. Like everyone mm-hmm. was so excited for the guy, but also for Broya, who we'll mention later. But, you know, it's, it's crazy that, you know, 24 hours after you see the news that all the players have been noticing how much work he puts in. He stays late after practice. He puts in the extra work in the gym. Like, Everyone has been praising Mudrik's work ethic so much. Like the kid, just there was so much you could tell the weight off his shoulders. Just such a genuine smile after he scored. And and again, I think this is like this is it. He needed this goal. Now it's time to make this a consistent thing. Whether it's a goal, whether it's an assist. Like I'm ready for him to have like the concrete stats. And and I don't think that's too much of an ask anymore. He's he is making his presence felt now. Yeah, every game he's growing and growing into the player that we thought he was going to be. And, you know, I didn't realize until they said it on the broadcast, but he's been here 10 months. 
um, which is a lot longer than it's felt like he's been here, obviously. But then on the other hand, it's felt like he's been here for years uh, because of how terribly last season went. But no, I mean, it, it's just really nice to see his sort of game come full circle. I mean, Andres said it, you know, the guy's been putting in work nonstop. It's all Pochettino's been talking about. We haven't really heard... There hasn't really been any negative press about him since he came to Chelsea, which only tells you that, you know, the kids, for the most part, put his head down and has been working. Um, and it's showing now. And you see it across all major sports, too. You know, how often do you see a player who's constantly in a lab or constantly in a gym? How often do you see that player not get better? Or how often do you see that work not come to fruition at some point in his career? Um, so it's, it's really a testament to his work ethic and, you know, what he's doing off the pitch. Um, but also he's learning and I think tactically he's getting much better. Like you alluded to Andres, he's not a one trick pony anymore where he just tries to cut in on his right foot and dribbles into the defender. I mean, he receives the ball. He's a lot calmer on it. Um, he's picking and choosing when to peel down the outside, when to cut inside. He has that ability to find a pass, which we've seen time and time again, but now he finally got a goal to show for it too. Um, you know, and it got me thinking, you know, what kind of player could Mudrick potentially be for Chelsea in the future? I think. Primarily, I can see him getting more assists than goals just because of the way he plays and how often he gets down to the, down the byline. I can just see him getting a bunch of cutback assists um, once we figure it out. But on the other hand, I think it could be a supplemental goal scorer. Like, I think this is a guy that can easily become the second or third leading scorer on this team um, year after year after year if he you know stays healthy and keeps trusting to work. So more power to him. I mean, it's it's he's really starting to look like that what 80 plus million pound player that we bought 10 months ago and you mentioned that he's still learning like if you really think about it this guy before coming to chelsea played half a season of of senior football for shakhtar in a system where pretty much it was just uh you run really fast we pass you the ball and you score because that you know in the league that they're playing at just the raw pace by itself, it was enough to beat everyone. Um, so I don't think that he really learned the more like mature play style that's required for the Premier League. So, you know, he's 22 years old. He's still learning that aspect as well, how to make runs, you know, how to, how to you know, pick out a pass, what to look, if, look for. Like, I just don't think that he was receiving that kind of coaching when he was uh, in Ukraine. Um, so I, I'll, I'll give him a little bit more more time. And I think, it's, like you said, Zach, he's just going to get better. And to double down on what you're saying, Sam, like he arrived here and I don't think he was getting much of that help either. You know, he came in in January when there was like five, six also new players and every week uh, whether it was There's Potter or yeah, <laughs> or Salter or Lampard, they were changing it up almost weekly. So what is he? How is he supposed to settle in when each week they're preaching a new message, new players? Like the last ten months, there was never any way for him to to settle in and and to feel comfortable because we weren't playing natural wingers. He was playing as like an inside forward, and it was in a system where he was getting the ball facing his own goal like all these things were never going to breed success like we we talked about how crazy it is that like oh man city got doku and doku looked good right away well, what was the difference there like doku was the final piece to a 10-man concrete starting 11 like that is way easier to jump in and, and and fit in around when everyone around you is doing the exact thing that they're asked of meanwhile at chelsea we're a complete shit show for the past almost two years now so Pochettino understood that, you know, he had to get him in the right environment and, and you know, really have his back through the next to the last five games. And, and it's paying off like way quicker than I thought it would. Honestly, I am just glad for it. I, I want his fitness now to get to a level where he can maybe stick around for a full 90 because I think that pace could really help in a, you know, late in a game. Like maybe it's a little bit sweaty. We're up one goal and that turn of pace can just get us that late goal to just be the dagger here and there. So uh, I'm just really excited, man. It's, it's time. I'm glad he's had the time to settle in this season and just start showing us that he is worth his price tag. 
Have we even mentioned the obvious when it comes to Mudrik? I mean, just to kind of add to what you're saying, Andres, but the fact that he transferred here from a country that's in the middle of a war. Like, I think that I think the, that fact has just been understated in all of this. Like, he's coming from a war-torn country. It's obviously his home country. Coming to a new country like, uh, like the like England, and not only that, he jumps into a team that's just completely dysfunctional, like uh, a broken locker room, a uh, broken way of, of of football in general. I mean, if you look at the time when he came here, I don't even think we had a technical director, did we? Yeah, we didn't have a clear hierarchy or anything like that. Yeah, so I mean, we were in shambles when we got here, and you know, he left the place that was in shambles to come here. And now he comes here and it's in shambles, but in a much different way. It's just, you got to give the benefit of the doubt to the kid. And it's good to see that it's, you know, finally coming around for him. Yeah, and I think, I think it will. Um, it's just a matter, it was, it was just a matter of time before he scored because he's had a lot of close chances. And like right at the beginning of the game, he had a chance that, um, I don't remember if it was on target or if it was way off, but still like his chance, like, like, taking more shots from outside the box. Like, I want him to do that. I don't care if he's, he misses the frame most of the time. Like, he's going to get it on. He's got, he's got a, a massive rocket, to be honest. Yeah, so, he does. Um, once he gets that down, like, he's going to be a very lethal player. Um, all right. I think it's time we give Kukurea his flowers. Uh, he has completely proved everyone everyone wrong i would say yeah i would say he's proved everyone wrong so far um i know it's only been two matches but from what we've seen uh of him playing out of position this is the kukure that we knew we was deep inside of him i mean he's only been dribbled past one time in the last two matches he's won 18 duels um it's it's he's just hard to run he's just hard to get by on the defensive end and i've loved everything uh i've seen from him and with the ben showell injury i think it's just it's pretty obvious that he's going to be filling in at left back when um reese james returns from injury hopefully soon or Manuel gusto returns from um his suspension but zach uh i know that it's kind of the same thing that we talked about last match, but Kukurea, how impressive has he been to you? I mean, he, I think he was even more impressive today than he was against Brighton. Um, you know, he picked up an early yellow card, and I thought to myself, oh, here we go again. We're probably going to have to pull him at the half because he's most likely going to make another silly tackle or two before then and really get on the edge, and he didn't. He was flawless from the second he got that yellow card uh, moving forward. Um, I can, I mean, I can just go ahead and say that I feel fully confident with him. Keep as long as he keeps getting the nod, you know. And this is a guy that feels confident as well in himself. I think, I think what he's done with his game is he simplified things. I feel like in the beginning, especially during the preseason, you know, he was trying to find the killer pass too often, and you know, he gave the ball away a lot positionally. I don't think he really understood what his role was or what he was supposed to be doing. And I also think Pochettino was utilizing him as a more attacking, marauding fullback. Um, as opposed to what Kukurea is good at, which is holding his position and, you know, 1v1 defending. He's a little pit bull when he's on form. Um, and, you know, what's funny today is I don't have the heat map in front of me, but Andres, maybe you can pull it up. I know you sent it to me earlier today. Who's um, Who was higher up on the pitch on the heat map? Was it Levi Colwell or Kukurea? Because a part of me felt like Colwell pushed up in the attack a lot more often than Kukurea did. Yeah. Cole was the the further forward uh, defender, so he so was the true left back, and yeah, th- yeah. It, it was not a flat back three. Kukreya was slightly ahead of the of Desasi Tiago, but Levi was way further up. So nonetheless, it was a more defense defensive minded role for Kukreya on the right hand side, as opposed to Colwell, who kind of had the green light to push forward, and obviously Mudrik's playing on his side as well. So naturally, that's going to be the more attacking side, but. You know, the same thing happened with Brighton, where Kukurea was on the right and Chilwell was our attacking fullback on the left. So if we keep utilizing Kukurea as just kind of a stand-in fullback that, you know, 
is not the primary attacking fullback. You know, obviously it'll be the other side. When Malagusto comes back, if Kukurea's on the left, I expect Malagusto to continue pushing forward and Kukurea to just kind of hold his own. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a rule that works for him. If you simplify his game and tell him to only focus on defending and keep the possession clean, that's exactly what he'll do. I mean, he's proved it two matches in a row now against two pretty decent opponents. Yeah, I I don't know why, but I'm like low-key afraid of playing him on the left. I don't know what it is. Like something in his brain just seems to work much better on the right. I don't know if it's the way that, you know, he kind of, overdoes his stance on like 1v1 defending. I don't know why. It just feels like everything plays to his advantage on the right side. Um, because Mitoma and Willian back-to-back matches is not an easy feat, and he only got dribbled past once. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the the deep research on it, but I bet you if I looked up you know, his games at left back, <laughs> I don't think he had that sort of run at all for us. So... To me, it's almost like uh, just keep playing there, keep playing on on the left side and or on the right side, excuse me, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at. Let's hear it, Zach. So my theory is, I th- I feel like he's I don't, I don't want to say he's more comfortable on the right side, but I want to say he's comfortable on the right side because he's not necessarily a progressive passer. Whenever he's in possession, he cut back onto his left foot and he would play the ball back to the keeper with his left. But if he's on the left-hand side playing left back and he wants to play the ball back to the keeper, he has to use his right foot. So maybe it's like this weird... Maybe he's allergic to using his right foot and he just feels more comfortable cutting onto his left um, from the right-hand side in possession. Maybe that's why he looks a little bit more comfortable there. But it looked like to me that he just wasn't shitting the ball away like he normally does. And Andres alluded to it. When he was on the left, it just seemed like there was something in his brain that would misfire and he would just forget how to defend and completely forget how to pass. Or on the right-hand side, it just it just seems way more simple. Everything seems simplified. Like he's back to the X's and O's. I think a lot of it has to do with A, motivation. Like I think he's he, like... <laughs> at the beginning, his motivation was, I want to get out of here uh, in, in January. And if in order to do that, I need to play, and I need to play well. So the opportunity came, and he was more motivated to play well. And a lot of it obviously has to do with his confidence. Like, after one good match, you can see how that can change a player's confidence. And I think that plays a pretty big factor in it as well. Like, I don't, I don't think that moving him to the left side will, will really see a, a drop-off as long as he's not playing that advanced role. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really happy with it. Um, let's, let's move on to Armando Broya. So his first, uh, it was his first start in a long time, huh? Like he didn't, he didn't start over the weekend, right? Or, uh, he hasn't started yet. He's played like two 15 minute cameos. So his first start, um, and it was not a pretty start. Uh, dribbled past the keeper, had a wide open net, and man, I think this is probably one of the worst misses I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, <laughs> it's the Chelsea curse. I, I thought, God damn it, like, like what other team can a player come in and do that immediately on their first start? Um, but he did it, and fortunately, he made up for it with with a goal. Um, so I think overall his play was decent. Like it's really hard to overlook that miss. Um, I think that his runs, the runs that he was making, it offers something that we don't really get with Nico. It's, it's completely different. It, it really feels like a completely different like style that we have to play with him as striker, as opposed to, um, Nico. So uh, Zach, do you want to talk a little bit more about what you saw and, uh, you know, like the difference in play style? Yeah, Broja is definitely more of your classic number nine in the sense that he's very direct. All of his runs are straight to goal. He doesn't really mess around with the ball at his feet too much. If if he decides to put his head down and beat a guy, he's usually only trying to beat one defender and not three or four or five. Um, but he just, it, it feels like that little bit extra Premier League experience that he has. Um, 
shows compared to Nico. You know, he does look like he's a bit more seasoned as a striker just in terms of his overall movement and his decision making. The one thing that comes to mind with me that we really haven't seen from Nico is that Broja Broja releases the ball much quicker. And the one example I could think of that sticks out in my head is when I don't remember exactly how he got there or in that position, but he was at the byline or, or I'm sorry, um he was in the box on the end line and he played a perfect ball across goal. And if Mudrick made that run far post, it would have been a tap in, but Mudrick decided to make a similar run. I think it was to Cole Palmer or Gallagher. I can't remember, but that's the, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't think we've seen Nico pull a pass back like that at all since he's gotten here. It's just something that as a player, stylistically, it's just not really in his locker. Like, like we, we just haven't seen it. Maybe it is, and you know, he just hasn't found himself in that position. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Broja gets one gets his first start, finds himself in that kind of position and, and does well. And then again for the goal, I know it wasn't the cleanest touch ever from Broja, and that you know there's a little bit of fortune involved <laughs> in there, courtesy of Tim Ream. But oh, yeah. the fact that he made that run and made himself a nuisance in that situation. There is a certain degree of credit that you have to give Broja for that goal as well. And that's, again, something that I know Nico's a good presser and counter-presser, but when it comes to the intelligence and the timing of the runs, it just seems like Broja is maybe a step ahead of Nico at this point in time. Um, I think, I'm not going to go ahead and say Broja's better or Nico's better, I think it's still too early, but I'm very interested to sort of see this dynamic and how it plays out for the rest of the season or at least up until january when we decide to make a decision on the striker situation but i think it's up for grabs i think broja reminded every chelsea fan today what we've been missing the whole entire time he's been out and i think he's given a lot of us more confidence that you know in the future if nico goes out of form if nico falls out of form or falls out of favor or gets another suspension picks up an injury whatever it might be even afcon you got a guy like broja that can come in and you could still be completely confident in what he's going to produce day in and day out. So um, that's the main difference I saw. Um, but obviously, you know, Nico does have his own qualities that Broja doesn't. And the, on the flip side, Broja has some qualities that Nico doesn't. So it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of battle it out for the for the number nine spot for the rest of the season. But as of right now, I think it's completely up for grabs, guys. And this is a good situation. The more competition in the squad, obviously, the better for us. Yeah, I think Nico Jackson's coming back Saturday with a little bit of fire in his ass kind of thing. Like he's he is gonna have to come and perform immediately because Broja, you mentioned it, he's just very direct. And I think in a team that is starving for goals, we need our striker to always be thinking, I'm the one that's gonna score. I'm the one making the run. There was a a, a sequence, I can't remember how it started, but but Broja was wide. He laid it off to Gallagher, and then the pass. There was like three little passes on the right side. He made his his run back in the box, and and Gallagher or Paul. It was Palmer. Palmer dinked it over the defenders, and he was a front post trying to header it. I haven't seen Nico Jackson make that sort of run. I think Nico Jackson is is trying to facilitate others, and again, that works great when you have someone like Nkunku on the pitch, a guy that's going to score those goals for you. You know that guy's ready to shoot at all times, but. When Nkunku's not in the picture, and now your players behind the striker are young guys that are still trying to figure out, a la Mudrik, a la Palmer, uh, Madueke at times, shit, even Sterling, who's not the most confident shooter, maybe you need the scrappy fighter, very direct guy like Broja. So I'm interested to see how Nico Jackson responds. I think competition is only going to be a healthy thing between the two of them, especially going into January when everything points at us signing another number nine. But yeah, I hope Broja doesn't have a setback. I know he came off in the 60th. I, I saw on Twitter that it was all part of the plan. But again, hope he's healthy enough to to come off the bench again this weekend. Maybe if we're chasing a goal, he comes earlier than, than he has before. Because again, he's he's a specimen physically and and he is definitely not someone that that's afraid of taking those shots. Yeah, it's something that we really need. Um, and I do like what you said about the the competition aspect, how, you know, this it, up until now, 
it was basically a shoe-in that Nico Jackson would play striker because there was no one else. Um, but now that he has got some competition, I think, like you said, it's going to put a fire under his ass, and um, it's only going to improve him. Um, all right, I think what we could finish off this match is just another apology um, is in <laughs> order for um, Mr. Sanchez. Bob? Um, Bob Sanchez, he has been very good lately, and I think he has the most clean sheets in the Premier League right now, which is uh, really awesome. His distribution is better. It's still a little bit shaky, but um, as far as like his shot stopping, it's gotten a lot better. Um, and yeah, it, it, I still won't call him like elite. I I think maybe he he crawls into the top ten keepers in the Premier League right now. Um, I don't know if he is top five yet. Definitely not top three. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy like he's definitely putting in the effort he's making the right decisions and he's uh going vertical completely or horizontal i'm sorry going completely <laughs> horizontal for um what was that like just like a, a bad touch. touch yeah yeah and um he went vertical and recovered it so shout out to him andres did anything you want to add uh to the Bob Sanchez discussion. We would not have won today. We would have not won against Brighton if it wasn't for those random saves. Like today, I think it was some some guy with like a Croatian name for Fulham came on and he, he hit it pretty hard. And yes, yeah. it's like within his like range of saves, but it was one of those where he has to just react and throw his leg out. Like that's the kind of goal that would go in on Kepa. Like, yeah. And it's not like to dig on the guy because he's doing fine at Madrid, but we haven't had a keeper that isn't tested most of the game. And then when he is tested, we can rely on him since Courtois, honestly. Like it's been a while. Like we are prone to, we dominate, we dominate, we dominate, we're doing everything right. And then one goal comes in. So for Sanchez to, to kind of settle into his role, He's ex like extremely good when it comes to cross collection. There was a play today where he legitimately snagged the ball off of someone's head. Like, yeah, I I swore it was about to hit a full defender's head, and he just reached over him and like pulled it in extremely confidently. Like he's not shaky. It's not trying to jump in and, and throw my whole body punch and miss a punch, and now we're all on our knees begging God to not let the ball go in. Like, yes, I am still very sus like suspicious when the ball goes back to him in possession but when it comes to shot stopping he's been almost perfect like i mentioned this early in the season there was something that said like oh the out of the five shots that he's faced four of them were goals and and i remember just thinking like none of those were really stoppable they were good shots and now when he's asked to make saves that are manageable he's making them and and i you know we're we thought we got bamboozled by Brighton and now I'm thinking 25 mils is looking good. Like it's looking <laughs> all right. Like I'm okay with it. Like I, I thought I was going to be, you know, begging pots for Petrovic by now. And, and now I'm like, well, who knows? Maybe Petrovic will get to play against whoever we play in the Carabao cup next, just yeah, to give Robert right. Sanchez a break. So yeah, it's crazy. It's 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 uh, life comes at you fast. Yeah, <laughs> we're definitely thing. not reactionary at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's playing I well, mean, man. Like he gotta give him credit. He is. Yeah. I mean, in terms of shot stopping ability, just looking at it really quick, he faced 1.09 XG today and we kept a clean sheet. So as far as I'm concerned, um that's a match winning performance. Especially with that one save is crucial. I mean, we all know. Andres, you know this. 2 nils the most dangerous lead in soccer, isn't it? Um, so if we concede there, who knows what happens with this game, especially with how fragile this team's confidence is. It's good that we have a goalkeeper that's, you know, I'm not going to say he's an elite shot stopper because it's only been a small sample size of games, but his shot stopping to date has been elite, I, I could say, uh, at least for the last couple matches. Now, I am going to be the person that points out his deficiencies with the ball at his feet, as I oh, always yeah. do. Um, 
my big question for him is that like we know he has a ricket in him right like we know that if the ball gets played back to him enough he's gonna make a mistake every now and then and pass it to the other team or whatever luckily up to this point we haven't been punished for it just yet but my thing is when we, once we do because we will get punished for it he will give up a goal eventually every goalkeeper does even the best goalkeepers in the world but when that moment happens how is he going to bounce back from it i think that's going to be sort of the real take on who he is as a goalkeeper because as with some goalies um you know they can pick up momentum just like just like some strikers can and they could blow hot and cold for periods of time just like some strikers can the most recent example i could think of is fabianski on west ham he had a ridiculous season two or three years ago and then he's kind of been bang average ever since so you know didn't maybe he to, Sanche- didn't he go to united for a little bit last year that I was dubrovka dubrovka right but uh, dubrovka is another one i mean he had one good season at newcastle and then united snaps him up and you know he's he's a backup all over again i think he's a backup <laughs> still on newcastle but he beside is. the Nick point Pope i mean starts. yeah i mean my, my my thing with sanchez is that you know as long as he's saving the shots and he's commanding his box which he's doing both exceptionally well i'm okay um but when he does make that mistake i mean i'm gonna be the first one to call it out that's all i'm saying i i do remember making the same exact like spiel about keppa when he came back um, and I think I made the same spiel about Mendy when he came back, uh, took, took his starting position back. Uh, <laughs> it, like that it's only a matter of time until they make a mistake and that when it happens, yeah. it's up to them to decide whether they're going to get back into it or it's going to just spiral out of control. Um, that, that, I think that's like a really big mental thing that, that, uh, some keepers lack. Um. Okay. Any final thoughts you guys wanted to add? Anything uh, on this match? Uh, like as uh, JT said, not really a derby, but it was a derby. Um. So I I want to mention something. Honorable mention to Caicedo today. I mean, he was he was phenomenal. I'm not going to go and read his stats because I don't have them in front of me. But pretty faultless on the night. Picked up a knock towards the end but for a guy that plays primarily in a defensive midfield role if you're not really mentioning him throughout the game that usually means that he did a really good job uh, because that's one of those positions where if you play poorly it's 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 blatantly obvious um you know so yeah. shout out to uh Kaiseido. you know he's shutting all the haters up he had a rough start here obviously he gave up that cheap goal when he on his debut and you know the internet trolls took a swing at him and and it's safe to say he shut all of them up. He's been uh, he's been getting better and better every match ever since. So looks like it's a money well spent. Granted, you know, 150 million is a lot, but it's <laughs> not like we spent that money on a player that's a flop. I mean, he is he is the real deal and just 21 years old. Let's let's not forget yeah. that either. And, and he's the one who played the the ball to Levi Colwell, who mm-hmm. then made the pass to Mudrick and. You know, as we said, he didn't make too many forward runs, but Caicedo spotted that one and he and he found him and played a perfect ball, led to a goal. That was great. Um, really happy with his uh with his progress. Andreas, this anything is- you want to add or um I I still I still am curious to see or hear what the injury situation is on the three players that came off today. Uh, yeah. I, it sounds like Poch is confident they're going to be available for the weekend. Uh, the, the one, uh, the one thing that I'm curious for is I honestly would not bring back Malo Gusto Saturday. I believe in, 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 uh, you know, rewarding good performances and, and meritocracy. And right now, things are clicking with Kukureya at right back. I think you kind of ride this wave while the while the competition is is at the lower end of things. Well, isn't Malagusto still going to be suspended? Did that over get overturned? It's a straight. Red, I thought he, so I think it's three games. But yeah. he missed the he missed it's only the care. Okay, then yeah, he'll play the right. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just kind of like. 
I'm ready to see the the next phase of the team like fully. Obviously, that's not going to be possible until Chukwameka and 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 Kuku and and Chilwell are back, and even Reese James. But I I just I loved Levi today at left back, but I just want to see him consistently at center back. Um, we talked about the vibes being back. The last thing I'll say is just the way this team was rallying around the guys scoring. Uh, both yeah. Roja and Mudrik was amazing to see, and then post match. The players going to the away fans and and Cole Will grabbing Broja and saying he's back, he's fucking back. Like, you know, there's there seems to be like I said, I've said this multiple times before we started winning again that we just need to teach these guys to win, and and then good luck stopping us, kind of thing. Because the talent is there, and if they're feeling confident, who knows what the what the limit will be? Like, you can argue that this team can outrun any team in the Premier League because they're so young and so athletic and things like that. So it's just like, man, it, it's good to have two wins on the bounce. Again, Burnley uh, in the weekend, we can start talking about that. Has to be three points in my mind. You have to now maximize all those points going into this harder run. And and it'll be nice going into these tougher games thinking we we will fight and not just, you know, zero point after zero points after zero points. I jokingly said we're 20% of the way to safety already. So, hey, we're doing good, guys. I love the vibes. Uh, every goal now, I'm, I just, like, watch out for DeSassi, Like Yes, dude. He hypes up every single goal mm-hmm. like no other. I want that guy to be my hype man from now on. Um, Megan, Easy to he see just why knows. Monaco named him as a captain, huh? Yeah, I think it's just, like, he just like when he hypes you up, you feel like a million bucks. Uh, that's what it appears like. Uh, at he, least. he pointed to Mudrick um, on his or after Mudrick scored his goal, um, he grabbed yeah. Mudrick's face really aggressively and yelled at him like from two inches away and said, <laughs> I fucking told you, I fucking told you, what did I say? Yeah, and you know, he did the same thing with Nico Jackson when he scored against Brighton. If you watch yeah. that back, um, I think yep. three or four different players slapped Nico Jackson really hard upside the head <laughs> after he scored. So, yeah, no, the, the 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 vibes are definitely back. And I think, you know, I think in terms of Tassasi, I mean, that's a guy who's definitely um, filling in the void that Rudiger definitely left in terms of being like your yeah. hard man, emotional sort of, you know, leader there. So, so. that that's a really good comparison. I mean, as far as like, I think that's, if we're only comparing that part, like yeah, 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 I think that's I like just like the the madman, wild man who will hype you up. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right, let's move on to some Twitter questions. This one's not uh, really a question, but something that we can just quickly talk about. This one's from Tom Ashdown at Tom Ashdown fifteen. Turns out Colwell at left back was fine all along. Um, yeah, I think I think he played pretty well there he played um, as an actual left back for once yeah mm-hmm. and you know it's still i think we still lack something um on the attack with him at left back yeah but defensively that was never a question i, I think that he played really well there andres you want to add something yeah i mean again i think his future is at center back and the quicker we can get him there the better for just the structure of this team in the long term. Yes, he was good. He's advancing more, but you're not going to see Colwell overlapping time and time again, helping the winger create space or, or getting an assist for himself. I think today's assist was fantastic, but that's the kind of ball that he's going to be playing 10, 12 times from a center back position as well. So true. Yeah. It, it, it works out because in the system, he's now playing like a fullback. He's, he's taking up more advanced positions. So it looked more natural. We've never dogged on on his performances. It's just more about what happens to the team when he's playing at left back. And now he's a true left back, not a third center back. Yeah, to your point, Andy, if he's playing as a center back, I mean, I'm just imagining him looking for that very similar ball to a guy like Broja peeling off the back shoulder of a center back. I mean, that can be an easy solution to just sort of delete the entire opposing press uh, by playing a ball over the top to a Broja or a Nico Jackson or even a Mudrick into space. So yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely not a left back, but in terms of fill it, fulfilling a role, I mean, he's, he's doing as well as he possibly can as better than any of us can imagine. So 
you know, I do want to see him play at, at center back because I think his distribution from that position can really be an asset. And it just gives us a completely different look too, right? You know, instead of building from the back and through the midfield, you know, he can just play one ball and, you know, basically break a team down with one pass. So a guy with that kind of quality, you definitely want him in central areas of the pitch where he can affect the game basically wherever he wants and not just down one side. All right, on to our next question. This one's from Catcher Freeman at Black Emoji. Um, two positive results in a row. What's been the main difference from a previ- previous form besides goals? And when is it start? When is it safe to start believing again? I say, this is real. This is real. What we're seeing right now. Start believing right now. We are making that push into top five. You heard it here first. Or at least, actually, let's just get started with uh, top half of the table. <laughs> we're, then, we're one spot from there. Yeah, and then, and then we move on to top five. Um, so I, and I think we kind of, it's been the main topic, I think, of today is his decision to switch to, back to this, uh, this play style and formation that we saw in the preseason. And I think, I think it's it's not exactly the same the same uh, type of football that we saw in the preseason, but it, it's a it's a lot closer to it, um, and I think that alone, plus kind of a lot of injured players coming back from from injury, that's also been helping. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's a combination of both. Um, do you guys want to add anything? I, I think right, top five is realistic as of right now still. I mean, we're only seven games into the season, and there's, what, 29 games left um, or 30 games left? Yeah. Um, and, you know, just looking at the table here, Aston Villa's in fifth. Uh, they have 15 points. We're in 11th sitting on eight. So who's to say that maybe Ollie Watkins picks up an injury? They drop out. They drop some sort of form. They can drop points here and there. Brighton's in a downturn of form. They haven't been playing well lately. West Ham has been overachieving. I don't think a David Moyes team is going to continue overachieving like they have. Uh, Crystal Palace is still ahead of us. They're expected to drop off at some point. They started out the season flying. I know Edward has like four goals to start the season. So, you know, there's definitely a possibility there. But, you know, just looking at the teams between us and the fifth place spot, I think Villa, Brighton, Newcastle, and United are, you know, the ones to be concerned about that are definitely going to push. But I expect a team like West Ham and a team like Crystal Palace to sort of slowly drop back down the table as the season progresses. There's no way Jared Bowen's going to score every single game this year. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But as of right now, about... as of right Sorry. now, um, the, the hope is still alive. I mean, I, I it, you would be stupid to say that we have no shot of finishing top five because there's just so many games left and, we all know how the injury situation goes, and AFCON's coming. That's going to have implications on a lot of the teams I just mentioned. A lot of so. Nigerian forwards are going to have to go play in Con- or AFCON. So yeah, exactly. For every every team that has a, a like a striker on form is Nigerian. So yeah. Okay. Well, West Ham just uh, picked up Kudus, so he's going to be going to AFCON. I mean, obviously we have Nico Jackson; he'll be going to AFCON. Um, off the top of the head, looking at these other teams, I don't care. Awoni, Awoni for Nottingham Forest. Um, Brighton has a few African, like young guys that are depth, but won't be there, including Mm -hmm. the likes of like Tariq Lamptey. Who's the Ivorian guy on Brighton? We've been linked with him. What's his name again? Oh, the super young winger. I I don't know his name. I, I don't, I hate that link already just because it's the big one. The big one is Mo Salah in Liverpool. Right. Um, Simon Ad Adingra. That's what I'm talking about. Um, all right. This next one. This one's from Adam WAFC. I don't think he's not. I don't. I don't think he's a Chelsea fan. Is that a Wigan Athletic? I think that's what right. WAFC stands for. Um, hmm. Where has I looked at his account and it was like a Reese James fan club and. It Maybe makes sense because, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, he, he spent some time there on loan. So, um, he said, "Where has this Gallagher at ten come from? No one played as a ten. 
He was very fluid. It was a very fluid midfield. Gallagher tended to be the highest presser as he has great stamina and pressing ability, but didn't play as a 10. And this is, Andreas, I think you made a reference to this tweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's not technically a 10. I mean, we'll we'll post, I don't even know if he listens, but if you do, Adam, I'll post to you like the final positioning map. He's covering that space. That's all we were alluding to. He is clearly the most forward of the three midfielders, and he is central while doing so. So, yeah, don't don't take it as a concrete thing. We obviously played a 4-3-3 today. Uh, okay, and then Haran asked uh, a bunch of questions, and I think we've answered all of them already, so we'd just be uh, repeating ourselves. But one of them we didn't really talk about. He said, can we talk about that ridiculous pass from Enzo to Palmer? Um Andreas, you look like you have a little smile on the, your face thinking the about Travellas, The Travellas we saw in every Enzo highlight and that we saw early into his Chelsea time before, you know, shit hit the fan for like every Chelsea player last year. They're back. Obviously, Enzo's confident. That pass yeah. was sick. He won. It, it's <laughs> funny enough, like for anyone playing the new EAFC 24 game, it's kind of like what the game looks like right now. If you win the ball in transition and if you have Enzo, <laughs> you're, you're, you're playing that sort of through ball for a goal. Yeah. Uh, but it just goes to show his confidence level right now. He also like ended the match dribbling and keeping the possession between three, Bright- uh, not Brighton, excuse me, Fulham defenders. That was and then sick. just, just taking a foul at the end afterwards. So yeah, Enzo, Enzo's got his bite back and, and the flare is coming out. So yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, Enzo's world class. I'm, I'm sold on that. I mean, the, the quality he has is ridiculous. When I was watching that same Travella pass live, I was thinking, just lay it off the Mudrick. Mudrick was right to his left. I'm like, if you just play Mudrick through, he'll be in. But Enzo loves to play that Travella, and when he released the ball, I went no. And then when Palmer, when it landed perfectly at Palmer's feet, I'm like yes. So it's one of those situations where you just kind of gotta let go and leave it to the geniuses and the magicians on the pitch. But I mean, we're going to see that a lot more from Enzo as this season goes on, especially if we continue to play the way like we did and we continue to play the players like we did. I mean, the only reason why that pass was even an option was because we, we played a guy like Cole Palmer, who's willing to make that run, Um, you know? And uh, yeah. So I think Enzo's going to, going to, you know, definitely tally up a lot of assists this season. And I won't be surprised if two or three of those come off a Travella pass like that. Love it, love it. All right, let's uh, wrap up the episode. Oops, I'm going to just drop my mic. I'm sure you guys heard that. Um, <laughs> uh, next match, we got uh, Burnley on Saturday. Burnley's actually going to be playing tomorrow, so we might have short rest, but they have even shorter. I'm sorry for my dog barking in the background, but let's start off. Uh, Zach, I'll start off with you. Any predictions for this matchup? Uh, this could be a potential banana peel. Um, you know, they, they just beat United at the weekend. So, um, I know they struggled up until that point, in my opinion, they were a little bit unlucky, um, you know, in, in some of their other games. Um, oh but, yeah, they did. They did play this weekend and did they yeah. beat United? I'm pretty sure they won their match this weekend. Wasn't it against United? Let me look really quickly here. Uh, no, no sorry, lost- sorry, 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 yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they to lost Newcastle. to Newcastle. What was I thinking of? They but this know. is the they makeup. also lost to Burnley. I mean, this United is the makeup. This is the makeup match because Luton Stadium wasn't ready for Premier League standards. Yeah, this is like oh, this is like the week one match. Now I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, but either been, way, they've been this in is, terrible form. That's yeah, they like, they've been in terrible form. But I mean, Bournemouth was in terrible form, and we saw what happened. And that was before. You know, That's before Poch listened to us. We saw it this was and... all before Poch listened to us, guys. Yeah. So I, I mean, but look, the bottom line is we can't take them lightly. I don't want to see a team out there that's heavily rotated and you know, oh, we got to get X, Y, and Z playing time. Like, no, you stick to the formation that works. You stick to the players that work. If they can play only sixty minutes, you only play them sixty minutes. But you really got to nail down now more than ever the the identity of this team over the next two or three matches you basically have to replicate what we did against fulham so um you know we can sort of establish this identity for the rest of the season um but overall i feel i do feel confident i think i think now that i think it's safe to say that we're not going to open up the floodgates and score five or six but 
I think we we now have the ability to score goals, which is something that couldn't have been said the last 18 months. So I'll just give my prediction. I think it's going to be 2-0 Chelsea. I don't think we score a lot of goals. I think the game is going to be very similar to the Fulham one where we start out really strong, maybe nick an early goal or two, and then um, manage the game from there on out. I like that. I like 2-0. I think that's a pretty, I think that's a, it's pretty spot on. So I'm going to like this one. He didn't get his goal today, but Ian Monson is going to score on his old club. Oh, we didn't even talk about that shot. Hit the yeah. freaking corner. Like, it's not even crossbar. It was like crossbar post. Like He did so good to open up his hips on that just for it to just mm, yeah, unbelievable. Man, he hit that with his left foot. That was not nasty. much more he could have done, honestly. He, everything, yeah. was, everything was almost perfect in terms of the technique. I think he'll get yeah, his. I love him. He'll get his. Watson Mafia on the board. Yeah. Love, it. love to hear that. Dutch boys, baby. All right. I think that uh, brings us to the end of a very, very positive and happy podcast. Thank God. It's been so long since we've, we've enjoyed Chelsea football. And I am going to s- stay on this high for as long as possible because looking forward into our... Uh, next upcoming matches i don't know how long it's gonna last but let's take advantage of it while it's here um again after uh, every match we we post a a questions tweet uh at blues on parade pod, uh no it's just at blues on parade um make sure you if you don't follow us on twitter already go check us out give us a follow there and um we do answer almost every twitter question on our podcast So, until uh, next weekend, keep the blue flag flying high.